and a very warm welcome to our Bergos Passion Podcast. My name is Aurelia Rauch and I'm really glad to be here again in this format. It's been a moment and I'm joined by two spectacular guests that I can't wait to change expertise with. They are indeed from very different fields. My first guest who I'm going to introduce is Douglas Mandry, a wonderful artist whom I had the great pleasure to meet in his exhibition surrounded by his beautiful artwork a while ago. Douglas, welcome. Thank you, Aurelia. Thanks for having me. And the other one, who's quite from a different field, also spectacular surroundings often he finds himself in, is Daniel Farinotti. Daniel, hello. Hello. Daniel, your uh, job takes a second longer to explain. You're a glaciologist. You're a professor for glaciology here at the ETH. Um, what do you do? What do glaciologists do? Well, that's a very good question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, we study glaciers and in various forms. And so when I say what we do, I typically say, well, we have kind of four main fields. The first one is we ask the question, how is how are glaciers going to develop? This is for knowing, you know, how sea level is going to change or, for example, how much water we will have. The second one is we deal really with the fundamentals of, uh, of glaciers. So how is uh, water flowing in the glaciers, underneath the glaciers? How is this affecting the motion? Uh, third is we study glaciers and keep track of them. So that's what we call the monitoring, mm -hmm. and especially for Switzerland. Mm -hmm. We want to know that. And the fourth is when we don't ask questions, but uh, we get asked questions by someone else that wants to know, for example, hydropower companies or municipalities. It's such a fascinating field. And I mean, I guess especially here in Switzerland, it's very much at the forefront of conversations when it comes to conserving, of course, our beautiful environment here. Um, the reason that you two are here together, and I think this is a moment to pause and, and you know take note of that, is that, Douglas, for you and your artwork, glaciers have been a very central part of, of what you um, how you work what you work with in terms of subject matter and this is how you guys in fact know each other right and this is also how I got to know you Daniel so Douglas maybe for you know kind of that framework um, can you tell us a little bit about from an artistic standpoint looking at glaciers how have they entered your work how do you work really I know it's always a bit difficult to talk about art mm -hmm. without having it but we will of course add a link to your website and your beautiful work uh, in the show notes so reframing the questions what role does a glacier play for you in your work and how did you get to meet Daniel so the four look about the question about the glaciers um, for me they've always been part of my so I was Swiss born uh, I grew up here and glaciers like mountains have always been part of my identity and uh, that's why I started wondering about them and try to know more about them and like Daniel said the question of uh, what's going to happen um, in in those times of um, times of climate change um, those are the big questions which led me to actually get interested into into the thematic of uh, topic of glaciers so um, basically that's one part of my work and I get interested in uh, how do you say, transferring or materializing these questions about the, the, trace, the, the, the trace of time, the passing of time, the disappearance of this landscape that I know, and the, the, what are the possibilities, the, the speculations about what comes next. And um, I try to transfer this, uh, these questions, which are quite abstract and uh, philosophical, into uh, tangible objects or pictures. And that brings me to use different uh, various range of mediums, like sculpture, photography, and installation. So I basically try to translate these questions into tangible things. Yeah, and they are indeed very beautiful. I was so struck by those glass sculptures that you make of the 
of the cavities, I guess, that are existing in Glacier. We'll, we'll touch on that in a second. You noticed, or you mentioned, and I'm, I'm, I'm now trying to bridge the gap between artwork and uh, science. You mentioned the passing and the disappearing. Daniel, a very upfront question for you right away as we get in there. Um, in times of a lot of conversation about conserving our environment, do we have a problem? Well, uh, the answer is yes. And unfortunately, we don't have only one problem. We have several problems at yeah. the moment. Not all are related to glaciers, but uh, if we look at the state of our nature and of planet, um, there is reason to yeah, worry. And if you had to draw a bit more of a concrete line around the subject of glaciers, especially because obviously this is what you, what you deal with most, what's the status, what's ha what has happened? If you're, if you're also talking about the development of them, of course, they're an ever-moving thing, shifting thing. What are your observations? Tell us. Yeah, with glaciers, you always need to be a bit attentive on what time scale you're addressing. So, for example, if we take my personal time scale, so when I was born, mm -hmm. so from the moment uh, that I was born to today, we have lost like half of all glaciers in Switzerland, volume-wise. So that's quite a bit. Now, I'm not sure when you were born or when the people that are listening were born, uh, but if you were to take someone that was born last year, yeah. they will tell that since they were born, uh, born we lost 6% of glaciers okay. so in one single year Extreme. so the change is really massive yeah. at the moment and is this just a is this a natural cycle as it might be a little bit of a dumb question but is this just a phenomenon that can be seen in in sort of the, the earth's natural warming and cooling and warming and cooling or do you really do you have causes that you can pinpoint this to well you you wish it was natural wouldn't you so no unfortunately not i mean the signal that we see at the moment is absolutely clear where it comes from and it has an anthropogenic origin anthropogenic meaning it is man and woman made there are cycles that have existed always since from glaciers so those are the glacier cycles that you may uh, be familiar of mm -hmm. uh, but those are played in the time scale of 10,000 and 100,000 years well now we are speaking of changes that happen you know in one year a decade or thereabout is there a way to stop it there is. We abate emissions and we make climate change better. So that's basically the only recipe that we have. And your, of course, very profound knowledge of, of what is happening to glaciers worldwide is based on the research that you do. Can you draw us that picture a little bit? So how does this happen? You, of course, travel there. What are the typical sort of measures that you take? What happens? I want to shift back after that, Douglas, to you, because this is you did such an excursion together. And uh, before we get into your artwork that stems from it, I would like to know from you, Daniel, how, what's a typical day in the life of a glacier expert? Oh, this, uh, this, uh, now you, you, you gave it away at the end. What's a typical day? So the typical day <laughs> is getting up in the morning, going to the office and sitting in front of a screen. That's, uh, that's the typical day. Uh, but the day that I like the most and the days of why I think all glaciologists became the glaciologists is the day where you're out in the field, mm -hmm. like the one that uh, Douglas uh, joined. So that's when you are out and doing kind of field measurements and they can have kind of all sorts of forms. So it can be kind of, you know, out in the Swiss Alps, but because would be uh, a month out in the Antarctic. So um, yeah, the job gets you around. Douglas, let me stop you real quick and ask you, so even that, like how did you guys get in contact? And this must also not come free. I mean, I guess, <laughs> you know, the blunt questions, how are you even enabled to do these things? And if somebody else wants to help who's out there right now, who do they get in touch with you? Well, I originally got in touch with Daniel through uh, the, the nice help of uh, La Prairie, which is um, 
cosmetic and skincare Swiss house uh, who support my work and uh, the work of other artists and um, proposed me to actually uh, develop and support one of my uh, one of my projects and uh, they kindly proposed me to actually meet Daniel and discuss about uh, uh, what could be done together and uh, also to 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 understand what Daniel's work is and to have a deeper insight into mm. what's been um, monitored in, in Switzerland about glaciers. Mm -hmm. And so we um, we uh, met at the Rhone Glacier in Wallis and um, we spent the day uh, actually uh, examining the glacier meals, so the, 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 the cavities that are uh, created by the, the flow of water running on the surface of the, of the glacier. And this was the main focus for me because that's what I wanted to really explore during that day. And so we spent the day uh, uh, working on the field uh, and collecting data actually using 3D scanners, which, um, which we actually sent with the help of a, a rope inside the cavities, inside the, the glacier mills, to actually capture the, the space and the room uh, under the ice. And uh, so it's a, it's a constantly changing room, basically, which is carved by the water and um, happens more and more um, in the glaciers. And this was basically for me a, a collection of raw material. It, it was For me, it was almost like in a scientific way, but of course there was no uh, sense of exactitude whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It was really the idea to collect uh, this material through the 3D devices. Yeah. I think this is such a nice uh, tiny sentence that you just wove in there that is really worth picking up that you don't have sort of the pressure of executive. You, you are afforded some freedom, right? You, you as an artist, your look onto these phenomena is much more liberal can be because your work, you know, is aesthetically by nature, you know, not committed to being absolute accurate. But can I shift real quick, Daniel, because I want to know something about glaciers. If, if now people are listening, let's say in South Africa, and they might not naturally know a lot about glaciers, right? Um, also here in Switzerland, I'm not sure that everybody really understands the glacier deeply, including myself, to be honest, now a bit more since we have gotten to know each other. If you had to give people a very quick kind of teaching moment about glaciers, how do they work? How's the microcosm of a glacier composed? We now hear about the water running through it and them being ever changing. What, what would you like us to know about the organism of a glacier? Well, the, the essence is uh, reasonably easy. So it's uh, about understanding why a glacier is there in the first place. And that happens when you have snowfall, which I guess most people are familiar of. And when the snowfall is so large that it doesn't melt away during the summer. So you're left with a bit of snow, of old snow. If this happens over and over again, you have kind of more snow and more snow and more snow. So this gets compacted and eventually it becomes so compact that you're left with ice. And if you're left with enough ice, this uh, ice starts to form underneath its own weight. Mm -hmm. So imagine a honey that is kind of uh, put over a, um, an inclined slab. So this would start flowing. Mm. And glaciers are exactly that. Like uh, not honey, they are frozen water flowing down the mountains. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're basically constantly shifting and moving. That's a, that's a natural part of their... Being, huh? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So that's a part of the definition. So we would not call a glacier a glacier if it was not moving. Okay. So there is bits of ice that don't move also out in nature mm -hmm. and we call them dead ice. <laughs> if, if, if our dear listeners would have seen the look on your face when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> and can you tell me a little bit, so when the water flows through them and these cavities, they call glacier mills, did I get that right? Yeah. How... 
insightful are they from a from a research perspective? I've seen the artistic results. That of course, beautiful what you make of them, Daniel. But from a uh, doctor, sorry, Daniel, from a from a research perspective, how much do you learn from that? And and the technique that was applied too. Do you use this too? Well, we use the same techniques, uh, and for what we learn or where the science stands is, uh, you know, people have cared about glaciers for hundreds of years. And the easiest is to look at their surface because yeah, you can see with your eyes, you can see with satellites, you can see with whatever tool you like. What's very difficult to see is what's happening underneath. Mm -hmm. So what uh, Douglas was trying to image, uh, so in the sense of the imaging, is kind of the interior and underneath of the glacier. And that's uh, kind of where the science stands. So that's exciting. I, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> what is your, what's the technological advantage of the last few years that you were most excited about? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, what we have seen in the last decade or so is really a revolution in how we can see Earth because of all kind of spacecrafts and uh, ways that uh, have been set up to, to look at Earth as a whole. And probably the most mind-blowing thing that uh, um, I can think of is a satellite that sees gravity. So it's that uh, how much is... Uh, an object attracted to Earth because there is more mass on one side than the other. Wow. And people have started using that to see glaciers too, big glaciers, uh, but still the fact that you can measure changes in gravity, that's pretty advanced. Yeah, that's pretty neat. People should see my face now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that is extremely neat. And uh, for example, one of the of the bodies of work that you um, exhibited recently and that I've, we both are big fans of it, Dan, is uh, the, the, the glacier, the pieces of fabric that cover the glaciers here in Switzerland during the summer. From both of your perspective, maybe we'll start with Daniel because we're talking about research just then. How helpful are measures like that? So essentially in Switzerland, what happens? They cover the glaciers, right? Well, they cover part of glaciers. Mm -hmm. So in the, for the size that a typical glacier has, they cover very tiny parts. Mm. In that case, uh, it is super efficient. So, you know, it's like putting a big sunscreen over the glacier. Mm -hmm. So you can see the difference between putting a white piece of carpet, we call them geotextiles, mm -hmm. or not putting it, this you can notice in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. The problem is that you cannot upscale that, so you cannot do that for all glaciers, and you cannot because A, it's very costly, B, technically would not be possible, and C, it would come with some ecological consequences that we don't want. Mm -hmm. And uh, funnily enough, uh, the um, geotextile is uh, one of the first uh, things that I saw from uh, Douglas, because mm -hmm. indeed he produced some like really astonishing work. And I'm not sure if I should tell or Douglas should yeah, tell. Yeah, tell us from your perspective. But, no, I think I'm happy that's to really, hear it too. When, yeah. when we got in touch, it's like, okay, you know, what do you do? As a scientist, you Google and see whether you find something about the person that had just asked a question. Yeah. And so what comes out from Douglas is those kind of images. And here you need to envision like a one meter wide and two meter tall images that come on a white piece of something and show glaciers from back in the days, from the 1900s or thereabout. So when the glaciers were large. Yeah. And then by looking Closer, you will discover that they are printed on those geotextiles and they're just magnificent. Yeah, they truly are. <laughs> thank you, Daniel. <laughs> you speak very well about it, actually. <laughs> I thank you for making them. They're, they are indeed really, they're super beautiful. They're very, very, yeah, exactly. They are amazing. Yeah, we'll put links specifically to, to, to that work. Um, how, how did 
how easy was that to make from a fabrication standpoint? Not quite easy because I, I wasn't sure. I started the project just um, uh, thinking of the material because this, this material was really a, a polarizing point uh, on the conversation about glaciers because it's specific to Switzerland, as far as I know. And um, uh, it's, it's been a topic that people have been discussing, disagreeing or agreeing. And uh, it's definitely an effort which is done at the human scale to uh, stop or slow down the, 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 the melting of glaciers. So, That was for me, the, the material was much more interesting itself than actually taking pictures of it or painting it or, you know, that has been done as well. So I really wanted to engage with this material and not only the, the new material, but also the one that has been uh, exposed to the sun and the ice and the elements on, on, on the glacier for at least a season or, or two. So, mm -hmm. and uh, so I got in touch with the people who um, take care of that and um, I was granted uh, small piece of say 50 square meters <laughs> of this textile and uh, and i didn't know what to do with it so this came in parallel with the collection of uh, of archives that i make and i thought why not this you know combine these two or superpose these two uh, layers of time actually so glaciers pictures of glaciers 400 years ago and the contemporary trace of concern from from us uh, you know t towards the world mm -hmm. and so i um, I have set myself on the way to find a way to print on this uh, fabric, which is very uneasy, it's very heavy, irregular, dirty. So everything I loved about it actually was making it very difficult to print on it. So finally, I just came up with, after a ton of experiments, I came up with the process of lithography, which is a very traditional mechanic yeah. and ancient process almost. Um, to press really using ink and, you know, negative plates, a bit like you do uh, with an offset or with a simple printer, but uh, done in a very manual way and very, um, very, you know, intense. It's just not respecting the normal measurements of, mm. uh, of such printing, um, but it finally worked. And so it was very, like, it was a sort of, of research per se, at least, yeah. Well, who said RGP easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> No, but they are indeed absolutely stunning. And I love, I, they, they have so many, you know, you can you can draw the kind of circular lines around how they relate to one another. The fact that, you know, lithography is with a stone. And it, it's just all wonderful. <laughs> well done. Thanks. <laughs> um, Daniel, when you, when you would want to pass something on to people that you wish they'd know about glaciers, how to protect them, how to protect, I, you could even, you know, go into wider circles and talk about other dimensions of, of protect worthy biospheres um what would you like to what would you like to have everybody know well that's a hard question too um i think you know we, we are facing some of the biggest challenges we have ever seen on, on on our planet and one of that is climate change it does affect glaciers i care about glaciers so i'm afraid of glaciers etc but the point is that climate change is not only affecting glaciers but all sort of other things and compartment on earth yeah. that we are equally worried about. So think about the increase in forest fires, think about the increase in kind of heavy precipitations and mud flows or inundations that follow with Absolutely. it. Things about uh, coral reef bleaching and think about kind of biodiversity loss. So all those have a common cause and uh, you know are all not wishful things to happen. Yeah, that's true. Any direct measure we can all now take? Well, the key is 
known, right? And it's known since decades. So we need to abate emissions. Yeah. So how do we abate emissions? So if we talk about our societies, there are some answers. If we talk about ourselves as a person, there are other answers. So if we talk about ourselves as persons, well, the technical answer would be, okay, make a carbon budget of what you're doing and yeah. then tackle the big ones. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you take a flight, well, you know which biggest position you have. So long distance flights, if you can reuse them, well, you're doing great. Yeah, I think that's already a very good handrail, right? I think this is the the problem often in these conversations that we we feel a little detached from the solution. We're very in touch with the problem, but I think on a personal level, often we think it might not ha- might not matter. You know, it's the drop in the ocean and what. What do I count? I just think it's very beautiful to see this sort of cross-pollination in very different fields that's working so much towards one shared goal, right? And I think this is, I, I hope that, you know, we shift a bit more to more collaborative workspaces, especially when it comes to such a big subject and target as, as you know, doing something good for our environment. Is there anything, Douglas, that you want to say before we part ways? I'm simply thankful for uh, to the ETH and uh, their departments, of course, Daniel, for for the fantastic collaboration ongoing. It is, and um, basically, I think I hope that each of us can, you know, understand our mission and our role uh, in this collective work, which is actually our society. And we tend to forget that. So I think it's really important that through any possible medium, whether it's science, information, art, um, my path is art, and I am. Um, I, I, I hope that I can reach people also uh, by doing what I do. Well said. Thank you for making beautiful work. And Daniel, is there any last words you want to you wanna add to that? It's uh, the same. So, I mean, I have really much enjoyed the collaboration. And uh, what, what we get out of it, uh, if you like, is, uh, you know, we're, we're able to speak to an audience that we would never be able to. Because the typical scientist uh, or where the science ends up is in specialized journals. And I'm not sure how many of the audience have ever read the Journal of Glaciology. I recommend it warmly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, by this we reach to people that have a totally different um, interest, which is absolutely fine. Yeah. This is a vehicle for us to, well spread the message that we think is worth spreading well thanks for being here today too i i I hope and i i trust that this is also reaching a few people that might have not thought about these dimensions that we discussed today so thank you both very much for being here sharing your knowledge and insights and very warm atmosphere with me thank you thank Thank you you. oh that was that was perfectly synced (laughs) (laughs) we thank you as always for listening and we hope you enjoyed this little excursion into the glacier world and we'll be back with more from Bergos now next Friday and with more from Bergos Passion Part hopefully very soon. Bye-bye.